0: This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL,
1: and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Set up one headman, right to go Kudrow. Score! trick! Kudrow!
0: We've got dates,
2: we've got times. Every day we get a little closer to games being played, and yesterday was a good day on that front. Tampa Bay will take on the Florida Panthers on Wednesday, July 29th at noon. Every team will be playing one exhibition game. Now, the times for the round-robin games have been announced as well. Tampa Bay will be taking on Washington at 4 p.m. on August 3rd. On August 5th, the Lightning will play the Bruins. That's also at 4 o'clock. And their August 9th game against the Flyers is to be determined. Lightning Power Play, of course, will be your home for all these games, and we look forward to bringing that to you. Let's get to our guest lineup for today. Coming up at 12.15, Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio stops by. We'll talk to Scott about the schedule that was just released. Is he surprised only a few players elected to bow out of the playoffs? And what will the game look like when play does resume? We'll ask him those questions and much more. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Linnelli. Brian Burns will be joining me in just a second. He is standing by. Beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's at practice today. The team's doing some scrimmaging, which is always nice to see. They have a day off tomorrow. And let's bring in Burnsy right now. Burnsy, great to be with you live from the arena. How did the scrimmage go so far? Anything stand out for you? at Amley.
3: yeah hey greg great to be on uh it was a quick pace surprised by the uh by the the quickness and how the guys were able to get into it uh right from the opening puck drop and uh not a lot of scoring chances pretty good defensive battle team blue uh which consisted of the the i guess you could call them the top two lines the point line and the uh uh, the Sorelli line, they ended up winning 2 0. Uh, Andre had a, uh scored the first goal, kind of picked up a loose puck in the slot and fired past McElhaney. Uh, and then there was an empty net goal at the end. But uh, just individually looking at some certain things, we, you know, Jan Ruda again paired with Victor Hedman. I think that's something we're kind of keeping an eye on throughout. Uh, training camp to see if that pair sticks, and it looks like, you know, everything that we saw from the first two days of camp as far as the defensive pairings and the, the line combinations held true uh, throughout the scrimmage. Uh, Matthew Joseph looked pretty good to me. He had that that burst of speed that we've seen from him in the past and was looking for a shot a few times, probably fired off about three or four shots uh, in some good positions, had a nice steal at the blue line, and then worked a give and go with Brayden Point. Uh, misfired on the shot, uh, sent it a little bit wide, but really good scoring opportunity uh, for for Team Blue on that one. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev really looking good, had a a really nice move where uh, he had possession of the puck in his own end and kind of had his back uh, to his marker and and made a move to his right and then quickly went back to his left to, to, to relieve that pressure and just looked so smooth in doing so. Uh, A couple stretch passes for Yanni Gord. Uh, Yanni had one at the blue line where he uh, came in alone on goal and and had Vasilevsky in front of him, and then Victor Hedman came and just kind of swallowed him up, did a good job of disrupting from behind, and Yanni tried to get a shot in on on goal real tight, uh, but but Hedman did a really good job of disrupting, and Vazzy cleaned it up. So uh, not a ton to really take away from this other than I, I thought the speed was pretty good, but just little individual flashes like that that you could see from certain guys.
2: Burnsie, can you gain anything in terms of what the combinations are going to look like, whether it's on the D pair or the forwards playing together? Anything you're starting to see right now that could be a trend moving
3: forward? Yeah, I think the main thing is just that we've seen consistency with the D pairs and with the forward combinations. So, uh, I think the, you know, the combos that we saw in the first day of training camp are probably the combinations that this team is as banking on using once they get into that, you know, even beyond the round robin, but once they get into a best of seven scenario, uh, I think that's what they're going to go with. I think, you know, right now they've got Carter Verhege playing on the first line with, with Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov, and I think that's the one change that we'll see. That once Steven Stamkos comes back from that lower body injury that that's kept him from fully participating in training camp, uh, I think he'll slot in on that top line, but. You know, those top two lines for the Lightning look just so dynamic right now with the the point line I mentioned, and then uh, Palat, Sorelli, and Killorn on the second line. I think it's been interesting on the third line to see Tyler Johnson back at center, uh, centering the two newcomers uh, and Coleman and Goodrow. Uh, and then that fourth line is that combination that we saw uh, that, that was really dynamic early on uh, and had such great success in Sweden. the the Paquette, Pat Maroon, and Yanni Gord line, those, those three guys are back together again. And uh, they look like they're going to be that that fourth line for the Lightning. That, that kind of changed. It got stale a little bit after Sweden, and they broke those guys up and tried some different combinations on the fourth line. But it looks like those guys are back together again. So that's the one thing for me, I believe, is just that over these first three days, we've seen the same lines. We've seen the same defensive pairings. So it looks like that's what the Lightning are, are, are banking on using once they get into the playoffs.
2: Do you think it's important to try and find Blake Coleman a home now and get him used to a couple of linemates during training camp as opposed to moving him up and down? It sounds like he could be a top six forward, Burnsy. Some of the numbers he's put up over the last couple of years maybe would suggest it, but certainly on this team, if he was a third liner, that's not a bad thing either.
3: No, absolutely. I mean, you got a 20-goal scorer on your third line, Andy, you know, playing along Tyler Johnson and Barclay Goodrow, who brings a lot to this team as well. And I think you're right. I think, you know, uh, he was fighting it a little bit when he came over from New Jersey, just trying to figure out what his role was on the team and where his spot was going to be. Uh, but I think this pause has given him a chance to really learn the systems, learn who his new teammates are, and really... kind of hone in on what his role will be so I think having that consistency playing next to Tyler Johnson for these you know next two weeks playing with Barclay Goodrow over these next two weeks I think that can only help him get acclimated to this team and make more of an impact once the games begin
2: when push comes to shove do you feel like this is Jan Roots job to lose and that a guy like Zach Bogosian probably is a healthy scratch
3: yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's Jan Ruda's job to lose, and I think the guy that's pushing him is probably Braden Coburn. Uh, I was another guy that I've been impressed with over these first three days of camp as Brayden Coburn, and just he looks to be a step faster, uh, the size has always been there for him, and uh, we've heard about how you know well he takes care of himself, and he always comes into training camp during a, uh, a normal offseason, he always comes in in great shape, and I have to imagine during this pause, he's taken really good care of his body, and Kind of re-energized himself, you know, from the wear and tear from the season, and uh, looks to be in great shape right now. So I think, if anything, it's Jan Ruda's job to lose, but he's got Braden Coburn right there to push him, uh, and it gives you some options if you're the Lightning. Maybe if you want to give Mikhail Sergachev a little bit more responsibility, you could move him up to that top pair uh, with Victor Hedman, uh, and you could potentially bring Braden Coburn in on the third pair on the left side alongside uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. So. Uh, I think you've got some options there with everybody healthy here. Uh, and even don't forget about Luke Shin. I mean, he's a big body that that certainly uh, can change the temper of a game. You, you see when he's in a game, a lot of the, the nonsense that, that goes on around the net kind of tends to quiet down with him back there because he can do that with his size and, and his uh, the way he's not afraid to stick up for teammates. So uh, I think the Lightning have a lot of really good options on the back end right now.
2: Burnsy, before we let you go, When do you think we'll get an idea of what the lineups will look like, not only for the one exhibition game, but also for the round-robin tournament? Do you get the sense that John Cooper would like to stick to his regulars during that time and maybe have Curtis McElhaney play a game or a period here and there, but for the most part, it's going to be the regulars playing and not many of the healthy scratches getting a look? How do you see that playing out? And when do you think we'll start to find out when – those lineups will be made public
3: well I think we're kind of finding that out right now I think this is the lineup the at least you know what we've seen from the last couple of days I think that's the lineup you know they'll want to use in the exhibition game and the round robins now whether they stick with that all the way throughout I don't necessarily think that'll be the case I think they'll, they'll try to get those guys in as much as possible and get them some chemistry with I, I think they're going to try to work in You know they want to work in Brayden Coburn. They want to work in Luke Shen and Bogosian. They want to work in some of these forwards that look like they're going to be scratches right now with Verhage and Stevens and maybe even Matthew Joseph and Alexander Volkov. Uh, I think they're going to want to get those guys some reps because they figure they'll probably need them at some point if they do go on a long playoff run. There's obviously going to be injuries at some point, so they want to make sure everybody has a little taste of that game action before they get into a a do-or-die playoff scenario. But uh, I think as much as possible, they're going to want to stick with the combinations and, and the lines that we've seen right now and give them, you know, at least three games together where uh, they can try to build that chemistry and ramp up to uh, that, that that level that they need to be playing at once they get into that first round playoff series.
2: Bernsey, what's the schedule look like the rest of the weekend, even for today?
3: Yeah, we got one more scrimmage, uh, or not scrimmage, one more practice session. The uh, They kind of switched things up today where the, 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 uh, the group that had been going in the morning is now going in the afternoon, and the afternoon group was moved to the morning. Uh, so they'll skate for another 40 minutes here. Uh, tomorrow is an off day, and then they'll get right back at it uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And into Monday, they'll have practice each one of those days. And I think there's a, even a couple more scrimmages that are built in just to try to uh, you know, replicate that game speed and that intensity as much as they can before they get up to the Hub City in Toronto.
2: Bernsey as always, buddy, great job. Enjoy the practice. We'll let you get back to work, and we'll talk to you real soon.
3: All right. Thanks for having me, Greg.
2: All right. That is Brian Burns. He's the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, giving us an idea of what's going on during the scrimmages and practice, and it's always nice to get you that live local coverage. And that's what we do here on Lightning Power Play. I did find it interesting that Jan Ruta continues to, at least early on, acquit himself well. And maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, folks, at this point. I mean, the guy did a pretty good job last year, did a really good job this year, when, uh, before he went down with an injury. And I think sometimes, for a lot of us, if a guy's not a first-round pick, or if a guy has toiled in the minor leagues... Uh, we're not willing to give him maybe the benefit of the doubt like we would with somebody who has high-end skill or was a high-end draft pick. But I think maybe at this point, Jan Ruta, at least in this system playing with these players, is a guy who's going to be in the top six. And maybe that really shouldn't surprise us. I think the good news is Tampa Bay and John Cooper, they've got some options on the back end that if something does happen there catastrophically, Uh, they may be able to fill in the gap here and there and be pretty serviceable with the guys that uh, are going to be healthy scratches most likely. But Jan Ruta continues to have a pretty good camp, and he's one of those guys that we felt like the competition was going to be interesting to watch because that was one of the positions that would have been open. But it does appear that Jan Ruta, who is healthy right now, has gotten back to the point where he is a top-six defenseman On this team. Also good to hear Bernsey talk about Mikhail Sergachev. You know, it's interesting when we talk about how dynamic this back end can be. We talk about Victor Hedman first and foremost. We know what uh, Ryan McDonough can do. We've seen Kevin Shattenkirk put up some really good numbers this year. He's healthy. And I think the, the pressure for him to be a top four defenseman, at least on this team, is no longer there, which has enabled him to be a very competent defenseman. But I feel like this team has taken major strides on the back end because Mikhail Sergachev is living up to the potential that was put upon him when it was made a high-end draft pick by the Montreal Canadiens a few years back. Mikhail Sergachev decided to become a more physical defenseman this year. And by doing that, I think he became more engaged defensively and I think he also realized that he is just as strong, if not stronger, than most people in the National Hockey League. And while we can sit there and cite the two fights that he got into, and specifically Shea Weber, uh, later in the year before the lockdown ensued, Mikhail Sergachev was making it a point to be very physical in front of his own zone. And that enabled him, I think, to become engaged quicker and allowed him to be a more confident player because I think he finally realized that that strength that he does possess can become a weapon. And I think he's made that back end a lot better. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, I know a lot of people want to see this team win a cup for various reasons. But I have said I think this back end is the most talented unit collectively in Lightning history. Now, maybe you think they have to win a cup to justify that comment, but just take a look at the personnel, specifically in the top six, and you tell me where there's been a better collection of defensemen in Lightning history than this one right now. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. I want to get to Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. He is up next. Hit me up on Twitter at Greg Lanelli. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.
0: The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power
3: Play on the iHeartRadio app.
2: All right, hit us up on Twitter, at BoltsRadio, at Greg Linelli. Thanks to Brian Burns, the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us live from practice, getting an idea of what's going on there with the Lightning doing a little scrimmaging, which is good. They have an off day tomorrow, then they'll pick things back up on Friday. And, of course, Lightning Power Play, your home for the most complete lightning coverage well joining us right now a good friend of the show you can hear him on Sirius XM NHL radio every day that is Scott Lachlan. Scott great to be with you thanks for coming on and boy the schedule for the exhibition and round robin games are out that in many ways Scott should put to rest those who don't think the league is coming back
1: Yeah, I think it's a first step for sure, Greg. And, you know, I think these will be the most watched NHL exhibition games probably in history, given what's at stake, Uh, given what we've gone through here for the past couple of months. I would think that most every team would be dressing as close to a full complement of players as you could. This is not going to be about a preseason game in September where you're having a hard time coming up with eight to 10 bodies that have played in more than 200 NHL games to give the paying public a little bit for their money. Uh, this is going to be more or less basically a, a tester for what's to come in the Tampa Bay Lightning's case, for what's to come in the buy round and beyond. And for those teams that are playing you know, I don't want to say life or death type games, but you know, of much more importance than the qualifying round type series. I think these games will take on a a whole lot of different importance to a whole lot of different teams and players out there, and it'll be the first step in the road back here, which we hope, Greg. We hope, fingers crossed, results in the Stanley Cup being handed out in early October.
2: Scott, is one exhibition game necessary? Do you feel like there should be more, or is this just one of the compromises the league and player union had to come to? To get this thing moving
1: yeah it's probably a compromise Greg because we had heard two games uh I was almost hoping for none I mean we have been off for so long now we just want to get it back you'd have to think that the quicker you can get it done uh with the integral nature of the game and and, and keeping it credible uh I, I think the better it is for the NHL so I figured you know no time better than the present to jump right back into it And you'd say, well, you know, the players might run the risk of being injured. Well, I mean, that's going to be, unfortunately, uh, I think, a bit of the reality for some teams out there because players have been off skates for so long. It's it's hard to get it really geared up. You know, I think zero exhibition games uh, would have gotten us right into the fray. And I think that it basically would have been equal because everybody's starting from the same starting block anyway. Uh, Regardless, maybe it's the compromise there. Maybe one exhibition game to get your line combinations together, uh, to get guys up to speed, pardon the pun. Uh, for what's going to happen from August 1st and beyond is probably the way to go. And like I said, I mean, normally I wouldn't necessarily hunker on down for hours and hours and hours of viewing when it comes to exhibition play. But I think this time, for obvious reasons, Greg, it's going to be a lot different, and I can't wait for the 28th.
2: Scott, are you surprised these practices haven't been held in the hub cities? In many ways, it seems like this would have been a pretty logical step to take, keeping all the teams from start to finish in one place
1: it's a really interesting idea you've brought up too because as we know i mean you know florida's going through some tough times right now there are certain areas of north america that quite frankly are going through some tough times right now i'm happy to say that edmonton's been doing well now for the past couple of months uh they had a brief outbreak recently at a hospital in edmonton but beyond that uh they've been doing really well out in the province of alberta and i'm happy to say being an ontario resident that for the past six weeks or so the numbers have come down markedly Uh, we're getting to phase three of the economic reopening around ontario the numbers have come down people have generally done the right things uh, when it comes to adhering to the precautionary measures that have been suggested by all the medical authorities and as such the numbers have come down so right now toronto's feeling pretty good about itself i think i think there's still a ways to go and as we're often reminded by the medical officials even when you get to a point where you might have zero cases i mean until you know we say when uh this still could pop up and you still have to adhere uh, to some precautionary measures so we're we're certainly not out of the woods yet uh, some areas are a lot tougher off right now than others clearly uh and it's going to be work in progress but i think the nhl did the right thing thing greg and i, I like what the nhl has done i've been saying it for weeks now greg on our program I like what the NHL did from the outset. By way of comparison to the other major sports, they said, we're going to give ourselves some options here. We're going to start with 11 hubs, and then we're going to whittle the list down to 10, and then we're going to get down to 6, and then we'll go 5-4, and then finally down to the 2, and they could more accurately perhaps monitor the changing numbers in different locales around North America. It seemed like a couple of leagues out there said, we're going to Florida, we're going to Florida. I just don't know that other leagues provided themselves with any other options out there, And that's where I think the NHL has done really well for itself here, being able to monitor the numbers and to look around the landscape of North America and figure out uh, what the best place would be, what the safest place would be to call a hub.
2: Yeah, I've said, and I agree with you, that if you took a poll and got the approval numbers for Gary Bettman, they would be at an all-time high, or at least they should, for how he's navigated this situation. And maybe it's because, Scott, at least maybe here in the United States, hockey is still sometimes play second fiddle to some of these other sports that uh, people don't pay as much attention as they would with baseball, football, and basketball. But I I really felt like there was a plan in place. They were pretty upfront with how they were going to do things. And they really made it a point that they did want to finish not only this season, Scott, but they also want to finish next year and and get that 82-game schedule in.
1: Well, Greg, how much differently are we looking at Gary Bettman's possible potential you know, game-ending legacy now as compared to a couple of months ago? It's changed, mm-hmm. not only with the return-to-play format that he and Donald Fear, who, by the way, uh, I think had some resurrecting of his resume to do as well. He had been involved in numerous work stoppages as well, not only with the NHL, but going back to Major League Baseball in his time uh, there representing the players. Uh, Each of these guys on their particular watches have had a couple of work stoppages, so that's not a good thing. What is good, though, is what they came up with rather creatively, I think, to come back with this return to play format. Uh, It's not perfect, but it's probably the best you could hope for under the circumstances. And beyond that, Greg, what they came up with in months that usually takes years to come up with, as far as what the CBA extension entails, I think that Gary Bettman, if this is his last CBA deal that he's gotten done, and I do believe that's the case, and I think it's going to be the case for Donald Fear as well. I think these guys go out uh, with their heads held high. Given the circumstances, the economic ramifications of what we have endured here for the NHL, it's going to take a couple of years to rebuild this thing back up as far as the revenues and profits go. But by the same token, they've given themselves a six-year runway with which to do so. And I think that we're going to look at Fear, and we're going to look at specifically Gary Bettman, In a much different way now, given what happened last week.
2: You know, I'm asking you to project and to get into the NHL players' minds, and that's unfair. But I'm curious because you mentioned the relationships and work stoppages we've seen in all sports. And I'm wondering because we have seen some players be outspoken about maybe coming back to play. And I'm wondering, do you think there will be any backlash or resentment the players would hold to the league down the road, Scott, when negotiations do come back up? Because maybe they felt like this was too dangerous and that in many ways, I don't want to say they were forced into coming back. But because of the revenue that is generated and the money that they would have lost, that they almost had to or else that, you know, there would have been some major changes structurally to how guys are being paid. Do you think down the road there will be any resentment when it comes to the players and how they were maybe treated in, in any light
1: well, first of all, we we hope that they're all going to come out of this relatively healthy, right? I think we'd all be naive, Greg, to think that even when we do get to the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton, that there will not be the odd positive COVID-19 test that's going to come up. But that's going to be the way it is with every sport. We've already seen it with Major League Soccer with the two teams pulling out and numerous players testing positive. Uh, the NBA's had a little bit of it going on as well. Uh, it's going to happen in Major League Baseball for sure, and it's going to happen in the NHL, even once they do get to the bubbles uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, that said, I think every player was given the opportunity to pull out, uh, and it's, it, it had to have been a tough call, right, Greg? I mean, if you're a guy who is heading up a family, perhaps you've already made millions of dollars during the course of your career. How do you balance the health, Uh, and welfare of being with your family, with going back to work, potentially being away uh, from your family for as long as, you know, two, two and a half months uh, with the fact that you do have to grow the business. And if you play the games, your business is going to be doing a lot better than it would if you didn't show up to play the game. So they're doing the best they can right now. I think they're in a bit of a damage control mode. As far as the league and the Players Association go, uh, what is it we heard? Four hundred, five hundred million $500 million is what the difference is between the NHL coming back to return to play when it comes to TV broadcasts and rights and things of that nature. 400 to $500 million would be gained here by each side doing what they've done to come back to the return to play. All the while, we hope it's going to result in, in full health for all yeah. of the players that are participating too. So. I don't necessarily think there'd be anything against the league. I think the players realize that this is a business right now. It's a business that needs uh, to really be grown back to where it once was, and it's going to take some time. But playing and participating, hopefully all the while remaining healthy, is the only way, I think, to get it back to where it was before.
2: Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. You know, Scott, we we have such hyperbolic uh, emotion um from various people some say you got to keep everything locked down others say go out and live your life and take the precautions necessary and we can kind of get back to normal and I'm wondering when we see some of these sports leagues come back and try and play as a fan as just a citizen should that give you some hope that you know what if they're willing to come back are they looking at the data that we're looking at and are, are they absorbing it and looking at it a bit differently and should that encourage us that you know what they're looking at things a little differently than we are and of course they don't want to risk their greatest assets which would be the players to come back and be put in a position where it's devastating for them the fact that they're willing to come back and the fact that they're looking at the same data we're looking at should that give people you know some hope and maybe um temper down the emotions when it comes to evaluating COVID-19 and all the statistics that are out there?
1: I think it's encouraging. Uh, I think that they're coming back and they're going to try to adhere to the best of their abilities to the precautionary measures that have been suggested uh, that every other Joe and Josephine out there has got to deal with. Uh, So I think that there are some similarities with athletes coming back to us getting back to, you know, doing more quote-unquote normal things with our lives. But all the while while we do go outside again you're being encouraged to stay as far away as possible if you can from as many people as you can which i've been doing for the past couple of months Uh, you've been encouraged in most parts to wear masks Uh, most people certainly have bought into that others have not uh the reality is that i think that we're trying to do at least i'm trying to do the right thing. Because the the quicker you do the right thing, the quicker we get back to the way that we used to be. Maybe it's not 100% back to the way it used to be until they find a vaccine, and you hope that they do find one eventually. The sooner, the better, clearly for a lot of people out there. Uh, but I think the athletes themselves, again, they're hunkering on down uh, in bubbles. I know even for the Toronto Blue Jays, should the Blue Jays be given... The wherewithal to play their home games at Rogers Center, and by the way, they're still waiting for word from the federal government as to whether they'll have to do that or whether they have to might go down to Buffalo, maybe across the border to play their home games. Uh, they're hoping they can play in Toronto, and they're waiting for federal government approval, but even the Blue Jays, when they're at home, are required to be in a bubble. They're staying at the Rogers Center Hotel, which is affixed to the stadium itself. So the players are coming back, yes, but the players are also trying to do the right thing, uh, given the circumstances. They're all going through daily testing with which to try to control this thing a little bit. And I think that's hopefully what we're thinking uh, will encourage people to kind of do the same because the quicker everybody buys in, the quicker we get back.
2: Scott, did you anticipate more players opting out and not playing? There were a few. And all for the right reasons, for sure. But the floodgates yeah. didn't open with players deciding to not play, did they?
1: I guess, Greg, it was kind of what I expected to be. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the final tally was. I know even, you know, Panthers assistant coach Mike Kitchen pulled out uh, as well. And he's got reasons for it, whether they be medical or whether it be the fact that, you know, Mike's in his early 60s now, I'm thinking, maybe even mid-60s. Uh, and he's a little bit older. You know, we've we've talked about... Uh, a guy that Tampa Bay Lightning fans know, and Rick Bonus. Rick's a little bit further on down the road, certainly being behind the bench and such. And we had it in the NBA with Mike D'Antoni making overtures that maybe with his age, maybe it's not best for him to be on the sidelines coaching games for his basketball team as well. So I think everybody's got reasons as to why they would pull out. And, and as you say, Greg, with a lot of these reasons, it, it comes down to family. It comes down to health conditions, those sorts of things. And when it came to Mike Green with Edmonton and Travis Hamanick with with Calgary, they had their medical reasons, they say, for doing so. This is the one time, I think, Because there have always been, you know, players out there, and it's been part of the hockey culture where it's all for one, one for all. You better be in with us or else. I think this time in 2020, given the circumstances and what we're up against here, uh, which is an unknown opponent that could care less whether or not the return to play happens or not, uh, I I think this is the one time here in 2020 where players could be excused if they want to opt out. Uh, So I think it was about the number I expected, probably somewhere around double digits, give or take a couple. Uh, But the reality is that if you're in, you're in. I'm just seeing that the Caps, Lars Eller, today just announced that he's going to leave the bubble uh, to tend to the birth of his child, uh, which is all well and good. When he gets back inside the bubble in Toronto, a little bit further on down the road, he's going to have to quarantine too. So that would rule him out for Washington for at least a couple of games, you'd think, along the way. And again, it's a different time. I think that you have to have exceptions for players in this time, uh, given what we've been enduring the last number of months.
2: Austin Matthews came out and said that uh, he had COVID-19 and he's better now. What made him, in your opinion, Scott, decide to come out and talk about it? Because up to this point, uh, we haven't been able to identify players that have tested positive publicly.
1: Well, that was a big talking point up here in Toronto, Greg, from the standpoint that uh, the guy who reported Austin Matthews had tested positive uh, was Steve Simmons from the Toronto Sun. And he took a lot of heat for reporting that, too, because... The NHL has come out and said that we're protecting players' privacy. Uh, They don't have to reveal their names. They don't have to step up if they don't want to. We're going to protect their privacy. I, for one, don't get the big deal. I don't know what the big deal is. If you've got COVID, come out and say, I've got it. I've got an illness here. I've got to deal with and take care for the next couple of weeks. Getting back to my previous point, Greg, I think people would understand. I don't think it's that big a deal, but whatever. The NHLPA and the NHL seem to think that way. Okay, so Steve Simmons reported this of Austin Matthews. Uh, Again, he took a lot of heat. Others were saying, well, he's just doing his job. He's trying to provide you with information that you are not aware of. Others feel like he crossed the line. Uh, So when Austin Matthews showed up a couple of days ago at training camp, Greg, you can imagine that one of the first questions was, hey, Austin, we heard you had COVID-19. Is this true or false? And to his credit, he stepped up and said, yes, I had it. I've overcome it, which is great. Uh, Here's what happened, and he went uh, onwards and upwards. And uh, again, uh, you know, you see Russell Westbrook and the NBA come out as well and say, I've got it. This is something to be taken seriously. Please hunker on down and stay safe and take all the necessary precautions. So, Austin Matthews stepping up. Good news is he appears to be back to full health. There are certain other cases, though, Greg, around the NHL already that we've seen where. You know, some alarm bells have been set off. I'm thinking about Corey Crawford in Chicago, uh, one of the guys that holds the key as to them perhaps pulling off a qualifying round series upset of heavily favored Edmonton. If number 50 is not between the pipes in the Windy City, or at least playing for the Blackhawks on behalf of the Windy City, uh, then Chicago could be in a, a whole heap of trouble. So anytime early on here in training camp that you get the old unable to play or unable to practice or unfit to play, Uh, I think you have to raise concern right now as to to what is is ailing a player.
2: What's been the talk uh, in Canada with Toronto and Edmonton being the hub cities there? I haven't had a chance to talk to you since that was announced, and Toronto's certainly uh, making a pitch for it. Why do you think it was selected, Scott? Does it make sense? And uh, take us through that whole process.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Greg, because Toronto's hosted the World Cup, of course, on a couple of different occasions, most recently back in 2016. Uh, Toronto revamped its approach and its uh, pitch to the NHL a couple of weeks ago where they incorporated the exhibition place grounds that uh, really are, are, are made up of like 40 acres of land. Uh, they've got BMO Field where Toronto FC plays, where... And go work out they can go have fun play some soccer whatever uh, they've got the coca-cola coliseum where the toronto marley's the american hockey league play uh, that's within walking distance there are a few amenities there and five of the teams are going to be staying at the hotel x which believe you me uh, i stayed there a few uh, years ago greg it is not only the most expensive hotel i've ever stayed in it is the best hotel i've ever stayed in and that's why i think the tampa bay and the four other teams that they're going to be with at the hotel x have a distinct advantage now the royal york where the other seven teams are going to be playing, Greg, is nothing to sneeze at. It is a historic, legendary hotel itself. It's pretty much five minutes walking distance from Scotiabank Arena. So that's where the other seven teams are are going to be. Uh, But I think that the NHL looked at at Toronto because it's had the ability to rather successfully host events of this nature before. Uh, And I also think it gets back to what I talked about a few minutes ago. Thankfully, in the last six weeks or so, uh, Toronto Uh, in the province of Ontario have seen their cases come down markedly. Just to put it in perspective, Toronto and Ontario, Ontario as a province had well over 400 cases uh, per day, on average, going back about six weeks ago. They've whittled the number down to about 100 per day now. So they've made some definite inroads, uh, credit to the people of Toronto and the people of Ontario for buying in to try to nip this thing in the bud as best as you can at this point. But I think the NHL giving its... Uh, self, an ability to monitor where the numbers are at, being a very fluid, moving situation. It's helped that Toronto's numbers have come down. It also, I think, gets back to what I'd mentioned. Uh, they not only have the amenities to pull this off, but they've done it time and time again in the past.
2: Scott, time will tell, of course. But do you expect the games to be more physical once play resumes, especially early on? And do you think that's going to lead to more injuries?
1: That's a good question, Greg. I mean, I, I think that you've you've got to acknowledge that this is almost the start of a new season. I mean, technically, it's the completion of last season, but it feels like a new season, doesn't it, Greg? Because we've been off for so long now, And what do you get usually when you start a new NHL season? Well, you get players coming up with muscle pulls and groin injuries and hamstring injuries and core injuries and things of that nature. We hope that doesn't happen. We wouldn't be shocked if it did. Like we say, we're not going to be naive to go into this thinking everybody's going to remain 100% healthy throughout. There are going to be the odd positive COVID tests that come up as well that are going to keep a player away from his team for a little bit also. So I think your depth... On the team, your depth within the organization. We know Tampa Bay's always done well with their working relationship with their American Hockey League affiliate. This year is going to be no different. I think that you're going to look at the depth of players of the Black Aces, the guys that skate before practice, the guys that skate after practice. They're going to have to be at the ready because I think these guys are going to be needed, especially if you're a team like Tampa Bay that intends on making a long run. You're going to have to go deep down your depth chart. Uh, I think, to find guys who will step in and supply big-time moments for you. Uh, so we hope injury not going to be a part of it. But, I mean, the reality is that a bunch of teams are going to have injuries. Uh, I think as far as the qualifying round series, two go, Greg. I mean, these again are again let's keep in, in perspective what life and death means especially given this this circumstance in 2020 the reality is though those games mean more in a best-of-five in the qualifying round series where you're facing extinction where we might see a team or two go home after four days greg we've waited all this time to play hockey there may be a team or two that go home after four days because some teams do have back-to-backs to start off in the qualifying round uh... so you're gonna you're gonna see some high-intensity hockey At a time where these guys really haven't had a lot of lead-up, all things considered, when you look at the big picture, and because of that, yeah, to answer your question, you are going to run the risk of, of some injuries right out of the gate.
2: Scott, what are some of the question marks, if any, for the Lightning when you look at this team? There aren't many for sure, and I guess you could say how they handle this year's run compared to what happened last year would be maybe a big one.
1: Yeah, we've talked about it a lot too, Greg, right over the last number of months, just the the additions that Julian Brisebois has gone and made. You know, you talk about the Barclay Goodros and the Blake Coleman's, and certainly going back with Patrick Maroon. These guys were brought in for a reason. We've talked about it before, Greg. These guys were brought in to play heavier, muck-and-grind type hockey, uh, the type of hockey that Columbus played against the Lightning last spring. So Tampa Bay, maybe adding a, a few ingredients from these players, that might be all that they need to make this run that they hope to make. I mean, I think that, you know, when you look back at last season for a couple of months, we wondered, well, what's going on with Tampa Bay? What's going on with Tampa Bay? But all the while, we thought, well, the Lightning and John Cooper are going to be able to step on the gas when they want to. Uh, I think we went a little bit later into the season before we actually saw that. Maybe there were some down there perhaps getting concerned. I wasn't. Uh, and then John Cooper had this team, of course, turn the corner. Once they got rolling, they became the Tampa Bay Lightning we essentially thought we'd, we'd see along the way. So, look, all the ingredients are there, to your point that you made, Greg. I mean, as far as goaltending, blue line, uh, adding Stamkos back into the mix, obviously is a huge boost for this team. Uh, everything is there for the Tampa Bay Lightning to make a long run, perhaps even win the Stanley Cup. Uh, now it's just up to those guys to go out and execute to try to build off what they learned in heartbreaking, dramatic fashion and being swept away by the Jackets last spring, try to take that disappointment from last spring and parlay it into a good run this time around.
2: Lastly, qualifying rounds, uh, any surprises you think we could see during that uh, that time?
1: Well, I don't know if I'd call it a surprise. In the East, I certainly like the Rangers to beat Carolina. I mean, I, I don't think there's any way you get around the numbers here, Greg. I mean the rangers are thirty one and six against the carolina hurricanes getting back to february of eleven. Thirty-one and six now the interesting thing for new york obviously is the fact that not only are they far down the road in terms of their rebuild well ahead of schedule jeff gordon's done a great job at putting that thing together having a ted Lindsay nominee and a Kemi panarin select new york like we all thought he was going to do anyway uh, in the end hasn't hurt their cause uh... but i like where the rangers are at the only question is who starts in goal at this point, I'd give a, a slight edge to Igor Shostyrkin, but you'd have to remember that 31-6 and 6 since February of 2011 has meant that Henrik Lundqvist has been between the pipes for pretty much all of those games along the way. He was 3-0 and against the Canes this season, so there will be a decision to be made. Is it going to be the king turning over the keys to the kingdom, uh, to a guy like Shostyrkin? Will Shostyrkin pick it up and run with it? Or will they go back to Lundquist, given his history against the Canes? So I think the Rangers are dangerous in the East. In the West, I, like a lot of people, Greg, like Chicago. If, if the aforementioned Corey Crawford is healthy, I think he can be productive. He's playing for his future. He's a 35-year-old, restri- or make that unrestricted free agent to be. So whether it's Chicago or somebody else, he's playing for somebody else during this qualifying round series against the high-powered Edmonton Oilers. If Crawford's healthy... I think Chicago's got a really good chance. Seabrook could be back on the blue line to bolster along with with Duncan Keith. You've got Caves and Kane and all that know-how. You've got Dylan Storm and Alex Debrinkett trying to build on what they would probably consider disappointing regular seasons. Uh, they've got the rookie, Dominic Kubalik and his 30 goals. So I, I think the reality is that Chicago is very dangerous. But the big question is, is Cory Crawford between the pipes going to be available? If he is, I think that they beat Edmonton in five games. If Corey Crawford doesn't play, I see the Oilers, quite frankly, sweeping away the Blackhawks.
2: Mm. Goaltending's so important, and uh, we'll see what uh, Chicago does if he can't go. Scotty, as always, great to be with you. Thanks for hopping on, and why don't you give your show a plug, let people know the times and when they can listen to your show.
1: Yeah, Gord Stelick and I co-host the NHL Morning Skate each and every weekday morning from 7 a.m. Eastern right through until 10 a.m. Eastern. We have a replay right after that, just in case you miss it the first time around, but 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern time each and every weekday. Uh, Yours truly alongside former Leafs general manager, Gord Stelick.
2: Good stuff all the way around. Scotty, great job, buddy. We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Look forward to it. Thanks, Greg.
2: All right. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. If you want to react to anything Scott had to say, hit me up on Twitter at Greg Linnelli. Got a couple of tweets coming in. want to get to that and so much more. It's coming up next. It's the Power Lunch on Lending Power Play.
0: An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.
2: Play. Again, thanks to Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio who joined us in that previous segment. Always enjoy catching up with Scotty and Toronto. Ready to do some hosting. Good for them. Let me bring in Steve Erstick, our producer. And Steve, I thought you brought up a good point before. It's got to be one of the reasons the league wanted at least one canadian city representing the hub cities is because finances play a
0: big role. It does. The canadian dollar is at 7778 cents uh yeah. compared to the us dollar, so by having two of those cities and and knowing that the the covid-19 is is a lot less rampant there right now, um it makes a lot of sense from both ends of that for the nhl in a in a time when revenues are going to be way down.
2: Yeah, it's um it's not a situation, Steve, and I, we talked about this off the air, and you brought up the point that it's, it's not so much that teams are not bringing in a, a ton of revenue, or they can't, it's just that there's no revenue flowing in right now. It's not like they can't pay their bills, but uh, these franchises, for the most part, will be fine, it's just there's nothing coming in at this point
0: well it's like a lot of businesses and and that's you know the purpose of the ppp loans and things like that is is businesses end up with a cash flow problem is there's expenses still you're paying employees you're you know working out now you're getting ready to go to hub cities but what's the revenue coming in you don't have people in the seats you don't have concessions you don't have all that stuff you normally would have revenue coming in so it becomes a cash flow issue of you know we'll make the money we'll be able to afford all this but how much cash do you have on hand to be able to pay people and, 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 pay, and pay all your expenses in that. So, you know, that's part of it too. It's it becomes a cash flow issue more than just a pure bottom line dollar and cents issue.
2: For sure. The uh, Jack Adams award as uh, the finalist for best coach in the league was announced. Elaine Vino from Philadelphia, John Tortorella from Columbus and Bruce Cassidy from Boston are your finalists. You know, if you had to ask me right off the top of my head, Elaine Vigneault probably would get my vote in that circumstance because I feel like Philadelphia, in many ways, came out of nowhere and was probably playing the best hockey out of any team, maybe in the Eastern Conference, before the pandemic hit. Now, will they be able to continue to play that way uh, during these playoffs? I don't know. But, you know, goaltending is always going to be a big question mark sometimes with Philly. But certainly, when you talk about Elaine Vigneault and what he was able to do with the Flyers this year,
0: uh, he probably
2: would get my vote. Although again, John Tortorella and Columbus and everybody that left in that, the offseason—that
0: was going to be my point yeah. is, you know you lost Bobrovsky, you lost Panarin, you you know they had gone all in last year and they finally won that playoff series against the Lightning, you know for the first time and 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 that. But then they lose all these people and they're they're what at a five seventy almost a five eighty points percentage at the pause. Um, You know, it's a tremendous job in Columbus this year. Yeah, their goaltending's been shaky, Mm
2: -hmm. and he's been able to navigate his team through those muddy waters. And I think it is a two-man race between those two guys. And if John Tortorella got it, well-deserved, well-deserved. Think about Columbus, too. You know, the expectations for them won't be that high. I mean, they're going to be taking on the Maple Leafs. And Dan Rosen had an interesting um, Q&A on NHL.com, and they were discussing the Columbus Blue Jackets. And are they a team uh, that can make a deep run, or is their goaltending going to really hold them back? Morszlikins and Corpus Allo, uh they're two netminders. And I think Rosen brought up a good point. He basically said if those goaltenders play well, he could see a scenario where Columbus takes care of business and downs Toronto which I think would actually be be a pretty big upset and again it goes back into question with Toronto and things that um, are wrong with that organization not really being able to take that next step but it's also a scenario too, where if they don't get goaltending at all that could be a very short series so look I think sometimes it's easy to sit there and say it comes down to goaltending in any series out there I think certainly we know that in Tampa Bay Uh, specifically last year. But Columbus-Toronto, I I don't know if a lot of people are going to be talking about that per se in terms of the actual matchup. But if the Columbus Blue Jackets get the goaltending, that's going to be a pretty interesting series. And Toronto better be ready to go right from the start. And we'll see uh, how that unfolds. Columbus uh, was was one of those
0: teams that had a lot of injuries, too, down the stretch. And they're now healthy. So... You know, that's another, you know, factor for them. They're, they're one of those teams. Colorado was another one that had a lot of injuries as we hit yes. the pause. And they're completely healthy now. So that, you know, bodes even better for them than when, you know, we broke away in March, you know, mid-March.
2: There's no doubt. And that's why I think it's unfortunate for a team like Philadelphia, who is playing so well, that mm-hmm. the pause occurred. Because now you have to ask yourself, can they get that back? Can they get that good mojo mov- yeah. moving forward? Um, the Rangers were one of those something. teams.
0: You know, Scott yeah. mentioned that he thought the Rangers sure. would, you know, take care of Carolina, but they were one of those teams that were really hot going into the pause. And can they
2: mm-hmm.
0: jump back and, and play at that level after four months off? It's all legitimate,
2: and you know, we asked the question: Do you think one exhibition game is enough? Do you even think they should have an exhibition game? I, I got the sense that Scott was hoping they'd bypass the exhibition game. I was kind of on board with that too. Because I I just wanted them to get to these games and and finish this season. Because, you know, who knows if another outbreak happens? Who knows where things are going to be in a couple of months? I think also, too, you know, you mentioned Toronto and the cases of COVID starting to go down. There is a popular belief out there, Steve, too, that while some people think there's going to be the second wave, there are other people that believe the virus is just starting to die right now. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing, uh, maybe in some places, the cases get lower than what we previously seen because it just it's runs out so to speak of some steam and that's kind of its shelf life who knows i think the thing is we've seen so many people throw darts at the board to see if it sticks when it comes to predicting this virus but that was one of the things that was thrown out there that i saw that i thought was was somewhat interesting as to why maybe some of the um, cases are starting to come down although if you watch the news you certainly wouldn't see that at all.
0: Well I think I think there's a couple cases to be made for the exhibition game and I think why they did it is one uh, it allows another television product in each market um, you know, where your local RSNs lost hockey games at the regular season you know 12 or so 12-13 games so it gives you another broadcast but two it gives you time in the bubble before you start playing so that if someone is diagnosed or test positive and that you have some time you, you didn't get up to the city, and two days later, you're playing. That you've got a week before you're actually starting the games that count. So if if there is a positive case or whatever, you can get isolated and kind of get everything adjusted. I think that that may be part of it, too, is they didn't want to get there and start playing You know, two days later. That they wanted to have some time to make sure everyone to get settled in, get used to the bubble, et cetera, and then get to playing hockey. What did you make of these
2: practices not being held at the Hub Cities either. Do you think that the uh, the NHL maybe erred on that?
0: I think it was the players not wanting to be away from their families. You know, I mean, you're talking that, you know, this is going to be a two-month, you know, when the game or when you get to the Hub City to win the Stanley Cup ends, it's going to be almost two and a half months. Now, we do know families are going to be able to be there for the conference final and the, champion, and the Stanley Cup final. But I, I think it was two more weeks of players not wanting to be away from their families at that point. And, and so that's part of a negotiation yep. of, you know, that that's one of the concerns the players in all sports have had is, you know, okay, we want to go to this bubble, but when am I going to see my kids, my family, my wife, my, you know, you know do, I, do I want to be away from that even further?
2: And I think we've seen some players who have some personal issues, health issues, have decided not to come back. Darren Drager was actually on TSN the other day. And he was talking about how difficult a decision it's been for some teams to come up with a final list of the, what is it? the 51 personnel that can go to these hub cities. Yeah, 51 or said, 52, yeah. Yeah, that some people are going to be left off that, mm-hmm. you know, typically they'd be right there with the team. So um, this whole situation, as I said before, I think the logistics of the NHL trying to pull this off to me was the biggest obstacle outside of uh facing some of these other things that the league would have to deal with like covid 19 because i do think getting to the hub cities once you get there for the most part steve assuming these guys don't go out and violate some of the rules that have been put in place that they should be able to contain this pretty well Uh, again assuming that the guys aren't irresponsible running around Mm -hmm. and and not wearing masks or doing whatever uh, stay in the hub city if you do that and there's a good chance that um, I think the league can pull this off and, you know, should pull it off. I think you make the effort to get this far, you don't want anything to screw it up. So I think from that standpoint, that is the mindset. Bob had a question. He said, Greg, do you think Sergachev has turned the page in maturity and showing now the reason Steve Eisman traded for him? A lot of us thought this could have been a make or break year for him, as year two wasn't his best. Well, I think he has turned the page, and as I mentioned before, because I think the physical play really matured this year, I think that allowed him to play with more confidence because we knew the offensive ability was there. But the question with Sergachev was, what can you do in your other end? And while I think there is still some work to be done in your own end, I think when you are physical, it allows you not to be as perfect positionally than some people who aren't as physical. And I think Sergachev now, who has shown the ability to drop the gloves as well, has given them another physical presence back there that maybe they didn't think they had before the season started. Uh, Look, also, too, I think with defensemen, Bob, you're talking about guys that, you know, sometimes it takes four or five years for Mm -hmm. them really to establish themselves as solid NHLers. And I think, Steve, what we're seeing with Sergachev is a guy who is starting to get a bunch of games under his belt. But... You know, he, he used another part of his asset this year, which was being physical, and that's something we didn't see last
0: year. Well, I think people forget he just turned 22 years old last month. I mean, you forget how young he is. He's been in the league a couple of years, so you don't think yeah. of him as you know. This season, he was 21 the whole time. Um, and 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 I, I look I, even before the fights. You know, he had the what the it was a New Year's Eve. He had the fight in Buffalo, and, and that this season. You could see the confidence because he was playing with his body more. He wasn't. It wasn't in the past in the defensive end. He was using a stick to play defense, yeah. and, and this year all of a sudden you saw, saw him. It's not so much the fighting that that got me excited about his play. It's the using the body to position himself and, and to lean on players as they come into the zone. In that, and that's what that's the maturity of. It. I mean, they always say defenseman, it takes two hundred games to. To really get it in the NHL, and, and you know, so Sergachev, who's in his third full season, is twenty now twenty two, but it was twenty one this year. He finally had that confidence that I don't need to reach with a stick; I can use my body. I'm a big guy; right. I can lean on people and, and and make an impact that way. Where you know, it's not reaching and letting players get around you and, and getting you know silly fouls too when you when you try to play defense with your stick. So, uh, the, it's the progress him- he made this year was tremendous.
2: The, ta- the thing that, uh, that's scary about the Tampa Bay Lightning is their best players, you can make a case, are the most talented at their position. So Victor Hedman, you can make a case, is the most talented defenseman. I think you can make a case that Nikita Kucherov the most talented offensive player in the league. Certainly it's debatable, but I think you can make that case. Mm-hmm. And I think you can make a strong case that Andre Vasilevsky is the most talented netminder in the game today. Steve, I do believe when it is all said and done, maybe in a couple of years, that we're going to look at Mikhail Sergachev mm-hmm. and we're going to put him in that same light when you talk about what he can do offensively yeah. and now what we what he can do defensively. Well, And, and you, I think it's you, unusual. You can make a
0: couple arguments too. Stamkos could be, I wouldn't say he's the best shooter in the game, but he's top five.
2: Yeah, I'm, ta- I'm talking yeah. purely best. Yep. Like, number yep. one. I think you can yep. make a case. Hedman, Vassi, Kucherov. And Kucherov. No might, doubt about it. Sorelli might,
0: be, might become a you could you ways. could
2: put Sorelli in that in that instant in He's that not situation. I mean, I think of right. Sasha
0: Barkov and there's a few others ahead of him. Patrick for sure, Bergeron, but
2: for sure. But I think Sergachev. We start talking about total package. I think pretty soon we're going to be talking about Victor Hedman one, Sergachev two, when we start talking about the Lightning's back end. Steve, we've got some birthdays today, don't we?
0: Yeah, uh, Anthony Sorelli's birthday today. He turns 23. Yes. So uh, it, speaking of Anthony Sorelli and Salkie candidates, and then uh, uh, Zach Bogosian turns 30 years old today. So,
2: you know, I'm about to turn 40 in October, and I can remember when I turned 30. And boy, that just seems so long ago, Steve. <laughs> it well, just seems so long ago.
0: The last time we played hockey seems like so long ago. <laughs> yeah, You're true. talking 10 years. Of course, that that's, is. <laughs> that's,
2: that's a good point. Uh, Barry Melrose also had a birthday, has a birthday today. Worst coach by far in Lightning history? Well, be, I mean, you know, right? as
0: short as the tenure was, you almost have to say that. <laughs> he didn't think so, though, right? No, I wouldn't think that, but I wouldn't think he thinks that. But yeah, I mean, you know, when your tenure's that short, <laughs> yes, I mean, you can't really be. say a lot of good things about that tenure.
2: That is, That is one of those periods in Lightning history, you look back and you just you just shake her but you know what though every franchise has that every sure, franchise sure. even the really good ones you have those those years decades or generations for some where you kind of look at it and say they just couldn't get it right just couldn't get it right well but you know
0: you, you could look at the positive side of that and say they corrected it quickly
2: absolutely that's what i mean it takes like for the lightning they rectified it pretty quickly then you get into some teams that it, it takes 10 years to come out of it You know, 15 years. and
0: Then you get to some teams that keep correcting it and never get it right. That's true.
2: There's no doubt about that. All right, any other housekeeping we have to uh, take care of before we we sign off? I know we have uh, Seth Kushner's recent podcast out, right? The
0: latest podcast of the Block Party with Seth Kushner came out this morning. Uh, Assistant coach Jeff Halperin uh, joined him this week, talked about uh, playing and coaching Stephen Stamkos because he got to play with him and then coach him. I talked about uh, how the coaches are approaching this restart with the Lightning and uh, his donut business. I love donuts. Don't eat a lot of them. but They are good.
2: uh, Also, too, congrats to the Lightning. They reached uh, a milestone of 100,000 meals prepared for feeding Tampa Bay, Steve.
0: Yes. uh, Emily Arena and Delaware North, who provides the concessions and sweets and all that at the arena, have been preparing meals for feeding Tampa Bay since the uh, shutdown started. With the COVID-19 pandemic, and they've reached 100,000 meals they've now prepared for helping those in in need and and those who need food or without. So wonderful news. That's good stuff. Wonderful support of the community. all the way around.
2: All right. It's going to wrap it up for us tonight, uh, or today, I should say. We'll be with you again tomorrow. Dave Michigan will be hosting. Mm-hmm. That'll start at noon, Power Lunch. We'll also have a Lightning Rewind broadcast on Lightning Power Play and 95.3 yep. WDAE. That'll start at 7 o'clock as well. Make sure you stay tuned for that. I believe it'll be win number eight in a row for Tampa Bay. That'll be the game. We'll be re-airing. The, so it's overtime winner
0: against the Penguins in Pittsburgh.
2: 2-1. Yes. Yeah, 2-1. Good stuff
0: uh, yes. all the way around Friday, there. you'll be live at Amelie Arena for the Lightning's yes. practice. Love that. And then uh, next week, there's two blue and white uh, scrimmages or games that the Lightning are playing next Monday and Friday. We'll air those right here on Lightning Power Play at 4 o'clock Ooh. Monday and Friday like next that. week. So. That'll be a lot of fun.
2: All right, Steve, great job as always, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, Brian Burns and Scott Lachland, thank you for tuning us in and coming on. We appreciate that. And thanks to the fans out there who've been listening throughout. We always appreciate it. And once these games start to roll... You're going to want to keep it tuned to Lightning Power Play for all of your Lightning coverage. I'm Greg Lunelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow starting at noon for another edition of Power Lunch right here on Lightning Power Play.